The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Friday the 3rd of August with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Indeed, I probably don't need to remind you this Friday that we are going into the long weekend. Today we'll see an exodus of people. The good weather, no doubt, will add even more traffic and delay travel times. Not as bad, though, as it might be when you're expecting gridlocked roads. Leave early, turn the radio on and get to your destination safe. Dublin Airport will be particularly busy. More than 420,000 people will use the airport this weekend. Many of them will wonder, though, if they're going to get home from their holidays because of the Ryanair strikes. Sinn Féin's spokesperson on transport, Imelda Munster, has been telling me that this is of concern as the dispute escalates. Pilots here will strike again next Friday and they're to be joined by pilots in Germany, Sweden, Belgium and Holland. Yes, it's, it certainly appears to be escalating and, and nobody wants to see that, you know, the uncertainty that that brings and I suppose we're all hoping it doesn't become Europe-wide, you know, but um, again it comes back to people sitting around the table and entering into negotiations to try and resolve it. And what do you make of Ryanair's claim that in part this has been driven by a number of Aer Lingus pilots? I, I read that. I don't know. I, I actually thought it was a childish thing to say. I actually believe it's it's a distraction, really, because um, Ryanair know the issues. They know the issues of basic workers' rights. They know the issues with the pilots. It's just about um, seniority recognition. They know it's not going to cost them money. You know, it's, it's down to basic working conditions and rights. And they know the issues with the cabin crew. So to say, you know, to blame others or to say otherwise, if they're sincere and genuine about it, they'll just get down, sit down into, and enter into talks and try and find some way. I know the unions have said um, that they would welcome third party involvement at this stage. And I had called for that before. And I think, it, you know, the signs are that it's starting to escalate. So I think it's mm. it's time that if the two won't agree to to turn together that a third party be brought in. And we are at the busiest time of the year. I was saying to you last week that today's strike uh, could be on the busiest day of the year. And I'm reading this morning uh, that uh, the number of people going through Dublin Airport uh, will be up 4% this year on last year. And it's going to be chaotic. 422,000 people going through the airport over the course of uh, the weekend. Uh, The timing couldn't be worse from a passenger's point of view. No, from a customer's point of view, passengers, yeah, it's all that uncertainty. And as I said to you before, you know, you you slog all year and save and look forward Mm. to your holidays. So to have that hanging over, you know, it's it's not fair on passengers. Um, And particularly, you know, August, July, August is the peak season. And of course, unions are going to pick strike, you know, when the iron's hot, I use the most opportune moment to to strike. Um, but, you know, the, the onus is on Ryanair too. They're, they're, they're paying passengers and they paid for a service. And Ryanair's reluctance thus far to recognise the, the conditions, you know, for, for recognise the seniority um, for work, for pilots and the conditions of their cabin crew, um, it beggars belief that, that they're allowing it to, to continue. Mm. I had seen something... Um, that the union had claimed that uh, I think it was 19, 19 or 20 days since the first uh, one-day strike had taken place that Ryanair had only um, 
agreed to two hours of talks, you know, um, so and the unions have said that they're not going into talks where there's preconditions and that that doesn't happen anywhere anywhere else, you know. And, like, I'm not speaking for the unions as such. Um, and I don't represent or, or speak for mm. them, but I'll always speak up for workers' rights and mm. the rights of working men and women, you know. And in fairness to the, the pilots, they did space out the strike. They did give notice. Mm. They did give ample time in between for Ryanair to engage. And the actions that uh, Ryanair undertook last week, you know, in publishing pay slips when it wasn't about money and implying that they'd lay off people. It didn't do anything to take the heat out of it, mm. you know, but implying that people well, would lose their jobs. I suppose the bottom line is whether you support one side's argument or the other, or if you're neutral, I, I think anybody and everybody would agree that the only way to resolve it is sitting down together and trying to reach some agreement. Now, Ryanair had uh, agreed to speak with uh, the pilots' unions on Tuesday of next week, but now that's been cancelled uh, because they say there's no point in going into talks if strike action is planned. That's really weird, isn't it? Well, I saw that, and I also saw that they had a statement um, that they'd been notified of possible strike action by the pilots' unions in the Netherlands and Germany, and that they had said that they were they believed that they were going to occur on the you know Friday mm. the tenth of August, and that they'd written to the pilot unions and invited them to meet them, you know, to, to, to try mm. and make mm. further progress. So yeah. it, it appears to me if they're meeting with the European unions, or the you know European union or unions in mm. other Germany, countries, the, yeah. yeah, yeah, why mm. won't they meet with the the, the um, the Dublin pilots, because mm. they're, they're, they're both striking on this, that's the same date, you know, they've both all given at least a week's notice, mm. and it seems to me that they're playing hard, hardball with the Irish pilots, and they need well, to stop yeah, this I mean, there, their customers. I, I think there is a, a theory going around that resolve is hardening on both sides of uh, the dispute in this country, and uh, maybe that's what that signifies. Well, possibly, possibly too, but I think um, they had said the uh, there was reports that staff were were angered by the stance that Ryanair had taken. Was it last week or the week before? Last week, I think, in relation to the serving the issue of protective notices, and that didn't do anything. You know that that kind of resulted in a hardening. You know, from the staff's point of view, resolve or determination, if you like. But I think both sides need to to um, just come together because it's mm. it's not serving either side. You know, but Ryanair at the end of the day. I mean, the union, the the pilots have a legitimate grievance. They're looking for just something that's not going to cost the airline anything. It's just basic working conditions. And the cabin crew, my goodness, have their issues to be addressed. The draconian um, disciplinary procedures and the poverty pay and all of you know not getting paid for um, until the plane lifts off the ground. All of that sort of thing. But Ryanair, if they think anything of their customers, you know, as I said the last time, they will get off their high horse and get in and negotiate. And if two sides um, don't agree, then a third party involvement will mm. have to look at that to resolve it because the uncertainty at peak season, you know, is is awful for, for paying passengers and customers. And there's the longer term consequence then mm. uh, as well of uh, the moving uh, part of uh, the fleet to Poland and all of these threats uh, that we're hearing, which would have a consequence on the economy in general, let alone the employees uh, and uh, the people who avail of the service that Ryanair provides. Well, that's the other thing. But I had seen somewhere that um, when the Ryanair had said that they were going to um, move... The, 
moving uh, planes to to Poland and removing some of the dropping some of the services for winter. I had read somewhere that 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 happens every winter. You know that there, there's a reduction, there's an automatic reduction in in flights. You know, so that 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 wasn't something that was something that maybe they were using as a you know a threat or a tool to try and get. Um, gold workers or whatever but that's something I'd read that in a couple of places that's that's something that um, the fleet's been reduced every year by 20% that's something that happens every year regardless but certainly you know the bigger picture Mm. we're looking at it escalating now and nobody wants that to happen you know we don't want to see that and all of the uncertainty that that brings but as I said Ryanair do have they didn't do anything to to help themselves last week by flagging it up Mm. this this you could argue as a result of that provocation. Um, yeah, any advice for people who might be flying out today with Ryanair or tomorrow? I, I mean, they don't know whether they're going to get back. Well, this is the thing. I mean, they, they've given the, the flights that have given or the, the the strikes that have been called, there's the seven-day notice. So um, at least, you know, you, you have that. If, if you, that's of some comfort, if any, you know, I don't mean, mm. but if anything, at least you have a bit of notice. So if you're, if that, you're fly, due to fly out on that day, then, you know, to contact the airline. But I believe Ryanair had said that they would be in contact and offer alternative flights or, or um, money back, you know. But it leaves, particularly at peak season, it leaves the chances of getting an alternative flight that bit slimmer, you know. So it's all the more important that it, it can be resolved as soon as possible. And both parties, and particularly Ryanair, get off their high horse and get into negotiations. If they're willing to do it with European unions in Germany and the Netherlands, they shouldn't be playing hardball with Irish pilots. They should sit down and talk to them. It's only going to fester if they don't. Imelda Munster, you're talking to us uh, about the Ryanair dispute as Sinn Féin's spokesperson on transport. You're also your party's spokesperson on sport. Uh, I'm sure before you leave us uh, this morning, uh, you'd like to pay tribute to the inspirational women's hockey team. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Um, great, great news and fantastic result. Imelda Munster is a TD for Louth and Sinn Féin's spokesperson on transport and sport. Now, Irish Water Safety is appealing to the public to take precautions and be careful if you're going to get into the water this weekend. John Leach is the Chief Executive Officer of Irish Water Safety and on the line with us, undoubtedly with the good weather and the long August weekend this weekend. Many people will be travelling far afield, some of them uh, using beaches and so forth closer to home, but I would imagine it will be a busy weekend in our waterways, and so far this year we've seen quite a number of tragedies, John. Uh, Good morning, Michael. Thank you for having me on air, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, so far this year, unfortunately, where six more people have drowned than for the same time last year, so that's a a a total of 49 people have drowned so far. Uh, during the year. So obviously we want everybody to really become much more aware of water safety during the month of August and particularly the Bank Holiday Weekend as you just outlined there mm. because uh, more people will swim this weekend probably than uh, even the, the, the June Bank Holiday Weekend although it was a, you know, a most beautiful weekend but the water temperature is warmer now than mm. it was in June so people will, will tend to spend spend more time in the water. It's and it's, it's great to have now. the opportunity to do oh, it, obviously, yeah. and I'm sure you'd encourage people to do it, but to do it safely uh, and to do it in particular where there's lifeguards and God knows lifeguards have been busy on our shores this year and they've saved a number of lives. They certainly have. I mean, uh, we want all members of the public in as much as possible to swim at the lifeguard at waterways and there's a list of them on our website at iws.ie. 
Uh, there's also uh, inland rivers and some lakes as well. So there are quite a few around the country. However, um, if you can't do that, then swim on what's known as a traditional bathing place, which is locally known to be quite safe. Use local knowledge to be, be, be sure, make sure there's no rip currents on, on a beach if, if you're swimming on a beach that you're not familiar with. And to make sure that there's a ring boy present and swim within your depth and stay within your depth. And that's what's crucial about when you're swimming alone when there's no lifeguards around. Because then if you get cramped or you feel sick or whatever, whatever may happen to you, you feel dizzy or get disoriented, just drop your feet and wade back ashore. Whereas if you're out of your depth, I'm afraid all the people who drowned earlier this year from swimming accidents were all out of their depth. And that's what's so crucial. Uh, about swimming because I mean we have beautiful clean waters to swim in and we want to encourage people to get out there and enjoy them because it actually develops a water confidence it means that they're going to be safe around open water should they ever accidentally fall in they won't be so as it were shocked if they do fall into open water if you've been swimming in it because it gives you more confidence so that's what's important mm. we don't want the inflatable toys or as we refer to them as the floating killers mm. uh, don't use them they're, they're okay in the Mediterranean where you have a different type of tides you have a diurnal tide instead of a semi-diurnal tide which we have here in Ireland which gives us much stronger uh, currents and of course Limerick you know you look at Glynn and Kiltiri the two piers there where you've got lifeguards the the tide runs past there very very fast so that's why you mustn't use those sort of uh, the problem is that you'd be washed out with the absolutely and and, and, and if it wasn't the current then Mm. it'd be the wind Mm. we get offshore winds that come up very very quickly as well Okay, and I I suppose the loss of life puts it into context uh, but there's a a lot of people who are lucky to be uh, alive 49 people have lost their lives so far this year more than this time last year but in total last year 109 lives were lost but the lifeguards have saved 149 people they've given first aid to over a thousand people and reunited 113 children with their parents. That's right. And so the, the lifeguards uh, do provide a brilliant service. The local authorities, including Limerick County Council and Clare County Council, the neighbouring county, they have a brilliant lifeguard service, which you know are highly trained by our members here in Irish Water Safety. They're examined before they go out onto the beaches. So these are, are, are true professionals in doing what they're, what, in, 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 in the service they mm. provide to the public. So we, that's why we recommend people to go to them. And you mentioned but, local currents in local beaches uh, but I understand 80% of people who drown dr- drown in their home county That's right, yeah, um, that was some research we did some years ago, uh, over a 25 year period and that's what, what we discovered so it's, it's, it is, means that I think people tend to be a little bit more complacent when they're swimming uh, in their own area, you know, they just mm. maybe are, uh, they just maybe just are not concentrating maybe as much in terms of safety and are just a bit more complacent mm. and also I think more importantly, I mean, 80% of people who drown, you know, are men. And men tend to overestimate their skills and their competencies and underestimate risk and danger. And that's why this, the level of male drowning is so much higher than a female drowning. And so that's another uh, issue, I think, relating to why people drown, uh, as it were, literally in their own county, in their mm. own backyard. And people are off for the weekend in the vast majority of cases. Uh, some people off uh, for a couple of weeks at this time of the year uh, with uh, the August weekend. Uh, this weekend, people are relaxed, possibly having a, a few drinks. Not a time to be getting in the water, though. No, most definitely not. A third of all drowned victims have consumed alcohol. So don't, if you've been drinking, don't go near water. You know, enjoy your, your, your time on the beach or enjoy mm. your time uh, you know, on the river or a lake of Loch Dorg or wherever you're going. Uh, but then don't drink uh, when you're, you're, you're swimming or even if you're boating or uh, angling or anything like that because people's judgment is obviously impaired and they make uh, bad decisions 
and unfortunately it does lead to tragedy. I mean, a third of all people who drown have consumed alcohol, so therein lies a very strong message. But the other, I think, very important message I'd like to make is for those who are going uh, boating or angling or sailing or kayaking or no matter what their aquatic activity is this weekend, is to always wear a life jacket. Mm. We have a world-class Coast Guard. You've got a, a four uh, helicopters, one base in Shannon. You've got lifeboats uh, all around the, there in the Limerick and Kerry coast there and in Loch Derg itself, there's two lifeboats in Loch Derg. So if you're wearing a life jacket and you have a means of communication, be it a, a handheld VHF radio or just get your phone and, r- and wrap it up in cling film and bring it out with you, then should you get into difficulty, you can just phone 112, ask for the Coast Guard and they'll have a helicopter over your head or a lifeboat b- beside you in minutes. Okay. And that's what's so important. So, uh, mm-hmm. and I think the last thing I would like to say, yep, Michael, sure. is yep. to children, uh, please supervise your children. You know, you, you mentioned that 113 children had mm-hmm. to be reunited with their parents. That's because we're getting distracted with our phones. We're looking at social media instead of looking after our children. So that's something we really need to look out for because we lose 30 children every 10 years in this country as a result of poor supervision of our children uh, to drowning. So please okay. keep a close eye on them over the weekend. It'll be a very busy weekend on the beaches. Yeah. Just be that, just be, everybody be aware, but get out there onto the beaches and really enjoy yourself. Yeah, well, that's it. The forecast is lovely and it's great to have uh, this opportunity and hopefully everybody will enjoy it safely. Thank you indeed, John. John Thank Leach is fun. Chief Executive Officer of the Irish Water Safety Association. Michael Reed on LMFM. In line with uh, the drought, Irish Water has launched a conservation information campaign. Uh, We've completed a survey which showed that over half of people in Ireland believe that they use about 50 litres a day, whereas in fact the average person uses 129. The last six weeks when we asked people to conserve water, Everybody has been making changes and we've really seen the difference at our plants. So what we're asking people to do is to make those changes permanent. There's a lot of advice and information on water.ie about these changes that you can make. So we're thanking everybody and asking them to continue to conserve water. All right, that's Kate Gannon, Irish Water's Corporate Affairs Manager. And I think it probably is true to say a lot of people have been going out of their way to conserve water. And we're joined uh, by Independence for Change TD for Dublin South Central, Joan Collins. Good morning to you and thanks, uh, as always, uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Are you surprised that people don't realise how much water they use? In fact, they underestimate it by half. Well, I, I think, first of all, that Irish people, as has been confirmed, use the least water compared to all European countries, 129 litres, as has been said. And yeah, I, I genuinely believe that most people wouldn't think too much about the water they use. Um and I'm, I'm saying that they don't realise how much water they probably use. Mm. But I do think that people are aware of water and that it is a, a um, an important uh, usage um, because uh, people already have cut back. We've seen that in the report even before the Irish Water came out with their recent uh, drive for conservation. Uh, people have cut back and used water from their sinks not flushing tides as much, taking shorter showers. And there's only so much Irish people can do. The main issue in this, Michael, mm. is that what the water supply is now on knife edge, not because of a lack of water, uh, water. It's a problem with the infrastructure, and we know that. And that's a fundamental issue that needs to be addressed. Why do we use so little water on average in this country? 129 litres is the average, they say. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you go to America, you're talking about 300, 350, 400 litres of water a day. I, 
I just think that Irish people are quite conscious of their water. Um, I mean, for the last 12 years, I've had to look over my sink in my bathroom yeah. and serve water. You know, don't just turn taps on and let them run, which people don't do, and with a, a claim that uh, Irish water and the government tried to make a number of years ago. People are conscious of their water. They know it means a lot. They know it has to be treated and it's expensive, and they do keep their system down. And also, there was um, a recent report, first big mm. report, Michael, uh, from Irish Water, um, that showed um, that uh, when households were informed they had a problem within their house, Irish Water fixed 88% of those leakages. Mm. And it was Irish households actually uh, covered themselves, despite the cost, uh, nearly 34% of the of those leakages. And it saved nearly, um, uh, that, that saved nearly 4 million um, leaders of water. So people are conscious. Yeah. You know, um, well, that's why they've been water. turning the water off overnight uh, so that they would stop the leaks. It's not that people are using the water overnight. Exactly. It's just that it's leaking out the pipes. Uh, but why is water so precious in this country compared to places like uh, America? Is it that it rains more in places like Texas? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> people would say that because of the fact that we don't have a huge you know, um, water issue. If we're not conscious of it from the point of view of the rain coming down from our skies, um, not like unlike in European countries where we're seeing yeah. temperatures going to 40 degrees, and they're not crying out they have water shortage because they've actually looked at their system. Well, that's it. It'll be 49 degrees, I, I think, in uh, some of uh, the European countries over the course of the next four days or so. Portugal and Spain will see record temperatures. They'll be jumping in and out of swimming pools and uh, turning on their showers as much as uh, they want. Uh, we've had an awful lot of water, actually, despite all uh, of the drought conditions that we're hearing about. We've had an awful lot of rain in the last couple of weeks here. Um, well, average year, the average would be a, a massive amount of rain. And the thing is treating it, obviously. Yeah. Um, and the expense of uh, how expensive it is to do that. Um, and then having the actual reservoir and all that in place working properly. Um, that's the key thing. And then the, the, the leaks. Now, Irish Water targeted between 2011 and 2021 uh, to cut leakages from 200, 205 million, I think it was, to 166 million litres. They're only two-thirds of the way through that network, that, that process. And it's now even higher than it was in the first place of 207 million litres been leaked to our system. That's in Dublin alone. Mm. So I, I have to keep coming back to this point. Every time we have, you know, a drought or um, a, a storm, Emma or something like that, people have been asked to conserve, conserve, conserve. You can only do that for so long. Mm. You can only do that for... You know. Oh, well, they're asking us to do it permanently now and uh, to make this a, a way of life, not to flush the toilet every time you go and not to wash your car regularly. Yeah, but there's only so much of not flushing the toilet you can do. There's hygiene and all that in play. Um, and, um, and what I do think that there should be dual flushes in all uh, toilets. That's mm. the first thing that goes into any household. And that's where um, people sh- you have the option of using less water. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but the key here is the leakages. And unless Irish Water actually points, announce a major public programme mm. uh, of work to actually fix our leaks over a two to three year period, we will be saving over half the treated water being uh, leaked into, our, uh, in, into the ground and being wasted. Mm. And if we had that extra supply, it would make a huge difference. Um, we wouldn't be, in, in Dublin, I think it's 600 million litres. Um, is used daily, you know, and, and yeah. 300, 300, 300 litres that is in the ground. Imagine if we had most of the leakage fixed. Mm. We'd be 
Looking at it's it's in the ground, but it's in the wrong part of the ground, as the farmers will tell you. But in Spain this weekend, they'll be growing their crops. Uh, they'll be filling up their paddling pools or their swimming pools. Uh, they'll be washing their cars uh, and whatever else uh, they feel like doing with their water. It makes you think or wonder if we're a very antiquated country. Well, the fact that the establishment parties have not invested in our pipe system and in our infrastructure system for the last two, two and a half decades is the reason why we're here today. I think it was, I remember about 12 years ago, I was at a meeting with an engineer in, in Dublin City Council, um, and they are brilliant. They know the system inside out. Just go to any of them and they mm. tell you exactly what's going on. And he said, these mains were so ancient that leaving them alone was not an option. Pipes now are a vacant point. That was 12 years ago. Mm. And there still has been no major investment into our leaks. Um, and, and that's the key thing, because in countries like Europe, where they, they are dealing with this every year, mm. they have a system in place, they have their reservoirs, they have their pipes that are not um, uh, ancient, and they're able to supply their people with water. Yeah. What, what do you think of this uh, campaign from Irish Water? I think it's uh, peculiar. You know, they're saying that uh, we use 129 litres, uh, which when you look it up uh, is very little compared to other countries. But they say we use 129 litres and most people thought they used half that. If I hadn't looked it up, I wouldn't have a clue. And I'd say it's the case with most people. I wouldn't have any yeah. idea whatsoever of what we use. So I have a feeling that they're making it up to send out a message to us. I, I don't know what to do. Um, I do think people need to be educated about our water and how we use it. That's just a fundamental issue in mm. schools and everything else to be done. But I think coming out with we have a major programme of public works in place that within three years we're going to have 30, 40% of those acres that are in our ground fixed and then we can deal with the problem of um, really, you know, there is issues in, in households. That's the key thing. And I don't know what they're playing at really from this point of view because, mm. as I said, you can only do so much. Um, you can only not flush a toilet so many times. You can only not wash your clothes so many times. But you will always have to do those things so you're always going to be using um, water. Um, so I, I just think, and, and even in their statement, they're saying do, we're doing what we can by ramping up leakage repairs. Um, but then they say, given the size and scale of the challenge, we have to depend on households to um, play their part. Mm. It's a bit strange. But listen, um, this is about um, our water. This is about um, public ownership of our water. It's about fixing our leaks, fixing our infrastructure and having a public body accountable to the people from where that money is going to, how it's been spent. Uh, uh, that's what's really needed here and I have to hear more of that from government of Irish Water. Okay, and I suppose it's good that Irish Water is recognising the effort that people are making. 65% of uh, people, they say, are making an effort to conserve water since they've uh, uh, appealed and uh, since uh, the dry conditions and the drought conditions uh, that we're currently experiencing in this country. Uh, But we leave it there for the moment and thanks as always for joining us. That's Independence for... Thank you indeed. Independence for Change TD, Joan Collins. Michael Reed on LMFM. As Joan Collins was saying, half of uh, the water on the public supply is lost to leaks and ends up in the ground, uh, but farmers would wish it was just in their ground as uh, they're experiencing extreme drought conditions. Good news yesterday from the Agriculture Commissioner Phil Hogan, who said that the Commission, as always, is ready to support farmers affected by drought using a number of instruments and including higher advance payments, derogation
contributions from greening requirements and state aid. This has been welcomed by the ICSA and Patrick Kent, President of the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association, is on the line. Good morning to you, Patrick, and thanks for joining us. It's been a hard year all round, no doubt, for farmers. Good morning, Michael, and thank you. Yes, it certainly has been a very difficult year, and uh, you know, following a very difficult winter and no spring, and uh, now a summer of, of uh, I was going to say discontent, but a summer of no grass and and uh, crops looking uh, much behind as well. And uh, so it's not it's not uh, at all uh, good from a farmer's uh, nervous point of view or financial uh, point of view as well. So it's it's, it's quite it's quite a, an ordeal. Uh, and indeed, uh, I'm sure that the very dry weather and how the grass isn't growing is of particular concern to your members now, uh, but also going into the winter because of uh, the lack of fodder. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the reserves are, are lower. Farmers are already eating into those reserves uh, to keep stock uh, moving and uh, thriving. And uh, so, uh, and there isn't uh, residual stock from the previous winter. So uh, this winter looks... looks uh, Honestly, uh, difficult uh, to face into uh, with large stock numbers on, on any given farm. So, what support are you expecting from Europe now? Well, look, at least there's recognition in Europe at this stage. Uh, you know, uh, it's going to take uh, uh, you know the government here now to, to get in gear very, very quickly. And they're talking about possible state aid, so uh, the finances have to be certainly um, lubricated and moved, and, and, and certainly to get money into farmers' pockets to, so that they can, uh, you know, have mitigation measures and also moving forward the payments from the EU and loosen up regulations with regard to gloss schemes and so on as well. So it needs to be done very, very fast. We have a very short time window now. Normally, August is a month where grass reserves are built up hmm. uh, for the autumn, and uh, that's not happening this year. And uh, so certainly supplementary feed has to be has to be bought in and so on. And uh, is it too late at this stage? I mean, if it was to rain from now to the end of September, uh, would it solve the problem? Not necessarily, no, no. Too much rain would be actually uh, detrimental. But uh, getting grass to turn around from a very parched, dry situation uh, is going to take a bit of time. Um, hopefully the weather is favourable for that. And, uh, uh, you know, what certainly we have to... Um, have fertilizer on the land now in the month of August because if you go into September, the fertilizer returns, returns on fertilizer spread is, is only about half. So that needs to be expedited and uh, a feed needs to be ordered and so on and mm. uh, a lot of lot of measures. Uh, you know, there's forage crops that can be sown in the first part, half of August on stubble fields and so on. So that needs to be put in gear as well. But, uh, you know, time is in the essence now and the government needs to to, to, to speed up and, and get into gear, uh, they have uh, given a, been given a free hand by Phil Hogan from Brussels, and uh, so certainly we need action now. All right, and uh, undoubtedly a lot of focus on what's being said in Brussels because as we go into the autumn, farmers will be hoping for some assistance by way of state aid, and they'll also be hoping for some good news in terms of uh, the Brexit negotiations. Uh, they really seem to be deadlocked at this stage. Uh, but some hope it, it would say yesterday from Michel Barnier, he's uh, talking about it improving uh, the text uh, for the United Kingdom, but uh, the United Kingdom may not be happy with what he's actually saying, which is uh, that uh, he's not likely to agree, or Europe's not li- likely to agree with the proposal to stay in the single market and out of it at the same time for goods. Uh, but they uh, may be able to meet a, a compromise on agricultural goods. 
Absolutely. We, we certainly need that. Uh, you know, Britain is very dependent on us for, for food as well and food security. And, 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 you know, we provide a lot of beef and lamb and dairy products into to the, and we also um, import actually uh, an appalling amount of, of, of uh, processed food uh, from there also. So uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a two-way trade and that needs to be um, kept, kept running uh, for the foreseeable. And mainly, uh, uh, or quite often, a seamless trade in terms of how trade happens on this island. Uh, are you concerned uh, about uh, the government's claim here that it's not preparing for a hard border on the island? Well, I, we just can't even contemplate that. We just can't even contemplate uh, the fact of a hard border. So, we, you know, a lot of people are, are absolutely not considering that. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, hopefully they, they get down around the table and, and, and get these talks uh, finalised. And, 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 uh, but unfortunately, a lot of politics being played with the situation and... and uh, Certainly, that's not to anybody's advantage. But this is uh, effectively the best hope, it would seem, this morning, that there would be a hard border for everything outside of agricultural goods. Well, food and agricultural goods, uh, from our point of view, are our priority. And mm. I think it's, you know, food on the shelves. Like, in farmers are, wish they could have food on the shelves for their animals. But, uh, you know, if you can imagine a situation where supermarket shelves are, are depleted and... Uh, you know, farmers can't get rid of their animals because their their loss uh, being facilitated. You know, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's unfair barriers, trade barriers, and and, and so on, and mm. that would not be a contemplatable situation for a lot of people. Absolutely, but uh, I mean, that's the point uh, in that uh, the glimmer of hope uh, that uh, there won't be a, a border on agricultural goods. Uh, is the best prospect for people to look at this morning outside of a, a second referendum in the UK. Is that something that uh, you'd like to see happen? Well, we certainly see need, need no hard border. We need we need uh, the current situation to, to, to be sustained. Uh, and what if that's not the case? Uh, I mean, time is running out at this stage. Well, I just think you know farmers are looking at our plans uh, for the coming winter, and, and they'll be looking further forward, and they would be just cutting down. You know, it'll be our, the decimation of our beef and, and, and other industries with regard to agriculture. Mm. People will just cut cut production, and uh, and uh, you know it'll be it'll be the detriment of our economy here. But uh, farmers will have to look after themselves and, and, and uh, cut their costs. And are they preparing for such an eventuality? I mean, I believe it's beggar's belief uh, to think that the government isn't? Unfortunately, the government seems to be just kicking the ball down the road on this one and, and hoping for the best. And, you know, unfortunately, there's not, there's not, doesn't seem to be any concrete plan. And uh, Well, that's what we're being told. Uh, I, I find that unbelievable. I, I imagine yeah. they have to be preparing for such an eventuality. Yeah. They don't want yeah. to say it, uh, but that would uh, seem to me to be offensive uh, to people who uh, they've been elected to represent. Uh, but putting that to one side, what, 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 what are farmers thinking? Are farmers preparing for such an eventuality? Well, farmers are, are very despondent at the minute and they're certainly prepared to, to cut production and, and cut it very drastically if anything like that happens. So it'll be the decimation of our beef and lamb and dairy industries. So, you know, uh, that there was grandiose plans of having 1.7 million dairy cows there already. Mm. That's been, been reconsidered by farmers. It might be considered by policymakers here. We're at 1.4 million dairy cows. A lot of farmers are, are already cutting those numbers drastically due to drought, and their plans for the future is not to to, to, to get back to the numbers that we're at. So, uh, it's it's an industry that's going to be cut. Uh, it'll probably lead to food price increases, 
for for consumers in different parts of Europe, including here. And uh, certainly farmers, uh, you know, are looking at sustainability um, and, and survival at this stage. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed, though, for joining us this morning. Patrick Kent, President of the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association, the ICSA. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns joins us with some of the calls and some of the text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. On water usage, Catherine phoned in to say that uh, the recent water shortage and appeal to conserve water did make her think more about being economical with how she uses water in her house. And she says that during the recent heat wave, when she heard on the forecast that rain was a coming, she put containers outside to catch the rain to reuse in her garden. She says it was her first time doing this Mm. and she actually felt good about it. And she says she feels that everybody has to do their bit. Uh, also, she says, I wait now until I have a full wash in the washing machine before I put it on. That's something that I didn't do before either. Mm, yeah, try put a container under a drain pipe and you'll see how much water comes out and you'll understand why people use those water butts. Uh, it's incredible the amount of water that falls out of skies in Ireland <laughs> at any given time. <laughs> Chris texts mm. in and Chris says, Irish water is coming out with this statement now mm. because in January 2019, that can send everyone a bill saying we overused our water usage and we can prove it if we did or we didn't. Okay, says yeah, Chris. Yep. Peter <laughs> says once always cynical. <laughs> People are always cynical when it comes to Irish water. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Peter is another one who's a little bit cynical because yep. Peter's saying once there are no charges, I'm ha- quite happy to work with Irish water to try and cut down on my use of water. But why do I always feel, Michael, they have an ulterior motive? Mm, yeah, again, cynicism. Yes. Mm. Tommy wants to know, is Irish water going to fix all the pipes that are leaking around the country? Not at all. Because no, should no, that... sorry, sorry. I mean, yes, I meant yes, I meant yes. Yeah. Should that mm. not be a priority when it comes to trying to conserve water? Because mm. so much water is, you know, is uh, leaked. Yeah, well, as uh, Joan Collins said, the statement from Irish Water says, yes, it's their intention and they'll do their best to do that. But in the meanwhile, they're asking people not to wash their cars often as they used mm. to. Don't yes. use the hose in the garden. Mm. Don't flush your toilet. All these things, you know. Grania just doesn't mm. understand. Mm. And what she doesn't understand is how in Ireland, when we have so much rainfall for most of the year, mm that we have a couple of weeks with no rain and then we have a water shortage. Well, that's she, says, what was, yeah. she just finds mm. this hard to comprehend. Mm. Well, that's what I was saying. Maybe it rains more in Texas. <laughs> mm. uh, on post offices closing, uh, a listener was in touch to say, you'd wonder uh, how many of the post offices closing down are doing so because of lack of supports. It may be voluntary on this occasion, but a huge loss to the communities nonetheless. Not enough value this listener feels being placed on post offices in rural Ireland. Mm. Okay, well, 161 post offices have uh, applied to, to uh, be per, uh, to partake in yes. uh, this voluntary redundancy scheme uh, and it seems as though the 161 will close down. Angela phoned in and says that people can complain about post offices closing but if those living in rural areas mm. don't use their post offices enough then more closures are going to follow. Yeah, well, that's what Kieran McEntee of the Irish Postmasters Union was saying on the programme yesterday. He said, 
he hears politicians talking about the value of the post office mm. all of the time and he never sees a politician in a post office. Gemma phoned in to say on water safety, uh, was listening into your interview and says, I was at Betty's Ham Beach, Michael, during the recent sunny spell. Mm. I couldn't get over that there were parents allowing their children on inflatables in the sea. Granted, they were near the edge of the water, but at the same time, it doesn't take long for an inflatable to become. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Have it to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view. An endless field of wildflowers. Or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Hot by, you know, a gust of wind mm. and they could be drift out to sea very quickly. Yeah, well, I, I didn't realise it. it's different here according to Irish Water Safety than yes. it is in the Mediterranean waters because of the type of tides we have. Yes. Yeah. Well, the, the, according to Gemma, anyway, she was saying she was just surprised at that considering mm. Uh, that there have been so many drowning incidents already in Ireland this year. Yeah, and Sharon Tolan, local councillor, was telling us uh, that that's where you should be swimming, is in Bettystown, because there's lifeguards there, but there she's are. very concerned about people swimming, young people in particular swimming in Laytown and other local beaches where there are no lifeguards. Yeah, well, that's always mm. a huge issue, because at least you, if there are lifeguards on duty, that's that reassurance, isn't it? I know mm, is it, mm. when I used to bring my children to the beach, it was always a reassurance that you knew that there was a lifeguard nearby if they, they did get into difficulty. Yeah, well, I mean, they do get into difficulty and those statistics uh, that Irish Water Safety have released are really staggering. Over a thousand people uh, received aid yes. from the lifeguards. They've saved 149 lives and 113 children were lost who they reunited with their parents. Yeah. 
very, very frightening statistics. Mm. And I thought another interesting thing was about the life jacket, Michael. If you are going into a boat or something like that, you know, to look for a life jacket. Mm. Well, there's always, a, I, yeah. I think there's always a life yeah. jacket on a boat. You know, but yeah, to, 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 yeah. to make yeah. sure, yeah. like, to mm. get one and, and put yeah. it on you. Yeah. Uh, on the presidency, uh, we had a couple of comments in relation to that still going on. Uh, a texture feels that Declan Brannock is a disgrace. This is the local Fianna Fáil TD for coming out publi- publicly to support Gavin Duffy and going against the party. Hmm. Why is that? Why, why? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I don't understand why they would say he's a disgrace. Uh, he's uh, being honest, I think, is uh, whether you like Declan Braddock yes. or, or not. Uh, maybe uh, it's uh, disgraceful to be honest. I don't know. Jerry from Drogheda, his thoughts on it. He thinks he doesn't, he doesn't know why there's been so much fuss made over this. He says... Over which? Over Declan Braddock publicly backing Gavin Duffy. He, because, doesn't, he doesn't know mm, what the fuss is. Yeah, because Fianna Fáil are backing Michael D. Higgins. Well, and he's a TD for Fianna Fáil. That's why the fuss... <laughs> well, mm, I'm, I'm mm, going to say what yeah, Jerry yeah, says. Yeah, he elaborates a little yeah, bit. He yeah. says, um, Gavin Duffy's a local man. He's mm. an astute businessman. He's put a lot back into the northeast area. Uh, the deputy has said they are friends, and that's mm. grand. You're allowed to have friends. And Fianna Fáil is not running a candidate. Mm. Jerry says that he's a Fianna Fáil supporter, and he thinks the party was foolish not to run its own candidate. Uh, the party members have been told that they can decide who they want to vote for at local level, councillors. And he says, yeah. from his point of view, that Declan is free to support who he wants because the party chose not to run a candidate. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, officially. Uh the party has a candidate that it's supporting. Fianna Fáil is supporting Michael D. Higgins uh, and that's the party's position uh, as uh, the majority of Oireachtas members who voted on it decided. Uh, So you'd imagine that that would be the party line from uh, the perspective of the Oireachtas members, Mm -hmm. TDs and senators and other words like Declan Brannock. The party did say that that would be the party's position, but then they relax that and let the councillors vote whatever way they wanted. But uh, Declan Brannock, uh, in breaking rank, is breaking rank. Yes. Mm. Um, Mary contacted us, read the presidency, and Mary says that she just doesn't feel that Gavin Duffy has the credentials for the job. She feels that whoever is running from, for president, she doesn't even mind about a mm. political background. But he does have the credentials for the job. He's over 18 and he's, <laughs> he's an Irish citizen. Yes, but she mm, feels yeah, yeah. that whoever's running should ha- at least have some kind of a legal background. Mm. And she says, he seems like a good man. This is nothing personal. Just for president, I just don't think he has it for me. Yeah, but I, I think, uh, you know, he has the credentials for the job. But not for some, uh, and undoubtedly uh, some people will like it. Uh, but, you know, the credentials are the credentials. I mean, that's it. It's up mm. to individual people to make mm. up their own yeah, mind, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. As you, as you yeah. say, yeah. he's he's over 18. He's entitled to run. Mm. Once you get the nominations. Mm. Yeah. Is it actually, I think it might be older for the presidency. Is, is it 20? It's, is it's it? 30, I think, isn't it? Is it 30 yeah, now? I can't remember offhand. Well, he's definitely yeah. over 30 mm. anyway. So he, <laughs> I think so, yeah. He'll meet that criteria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, uh, moving from that then, if we can, we yeah. can check that out and let them know. Mm. Um, the theft of vehicles we were covering yesterday in North Meath, uh, you know, the, the different vehicles being stolen from homes. And a listener from Drumcondra texted us in to say that the areas affected include Cool and RD, Drumcondra, Knobber, Minalty, Kilmainham Wood 
and King's Court and says that they're all a five to seven mile square neighbouring parishes and they all feel that there needs to be more Garda resources in the area and that they are all very concerned about this spate of robberies. Hmm. Then moving from that, if we have time, quick one. John from Navin phoned in. We were discussing housing with Jamie in English last week and I did the Vox Pop in Ashburn on housing. And John says he just feels it's not all doom and gloom, that at least there was a 67 housing development uh, launched in Ashburn recently and houses given out and he says that he, as far as he understands it there are a thousand houses in total being built at presently throughout the county of Meath so there will be more social authority housing coming on stream Alright, well that's uh, good news I'm sure, especially for those who end up with a house as a result uh, I think actually it's 18 that uh, is uh, the constitutional requirement uh, but uh, we'll clarify that uh, I'm sure uh, somebody listening uh, might help us out uh, but uh, that's what happens when you talk off the top of your head <laughs> thanks for that Marie and thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us uh, remember as always if you'd like uh, to make comment on the programme we'd love to hear from you our telephone number is 1850 715958 that's 1850 715958 if you'd like to ring Marie and Maggie are answering the phone today you can also text 086 and one eight hundred six five eight. That's oh eight six one eight hundred six five eight. If you'd like to text us today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Okay, just to clarify uh, that uh, confusion earlier on, uh, the next president of Ireland will be aged 35 or older, as has been the case uh, and will always be the case until the constitution is changed, at least. That's the constitutional requirement that a a candidate must be 35 or older. Now, let's uh, talk about uh, the papal visit uh, later this month and how... Archbishop Dermot Martin said uh, that Francis may not have time to meet with uh, survivors of uh, clerical sexual abuse. The Irish Times is reporting today that he will meet survivors as part of the visit. It says, though, that details of who he will meet and when will not be released in advance to protect the anonymity of survivors. John Kelly is one such person. He's uh, the co-founder of Savoka, of Soka, the survivors of a child abuse in Ireland and joins us now. John, uh, do you want to meet the Pope? Hello, John. I'm not sure what's happening there with the telephone at all. Uh, apologies for that. Uh, as uh, you may have heard, uh, there's also an alternative uh, event that will take place to coincide with uh, the Pope's Mass in the Phoenix Park, which will be at 3pm on uh, the 26th of August. And people are asked to, to meet in solidarity with survivors of clerical abuse at uh, the Garden of Remembrance. Uh, but John Kelly, I think, is on the line now. John, uh, do you want to meet with the Pope? Well, we wrote... I don't want to meet with him just to say hi, oh yuck, you know, like a lot of people are going to attend uh, and if he's some sort of celebrity I don't want to meet him for that reason I want to meet with him and say, to let him know, specifically the damage that has been caused, and what he could do uh, because you must remember, we've actually written to Bishop Martin, and we asked, we requested to meet with uh, Pope Francis and it took a while, then we got back a response that, why don't we go through the papal nuncio? And that's really silly, because papal nuncio is basically, uh, he's like a diplomat. Mm. And it is the 
bishops here in Ireland who have organised the trip. Mm. And they, they, they're responsible for the itinerary. He could have fit us in, or if he felt that way, he could have wrote to the papal nuncio himself. OK, but what, what did the papal nuncio say to you in his response? No, well, we didn't. Well, we oh. wrote to the bishop. I didn't, we didn't see the point. because yeah. okay. well, This okay. happened before when we had... You might have called some three or four cardinals came. It's, mm. a, it's just a PR exercise. They were to meet with us. And then we got a letter after he went back uh, from the bishop, I think, of New York, a cardinal of New York, and he said, uh, sorry, due to the itinerary being full, he said, mm. we couldn't mm. meet with you. Mm. So it, it just became a PR exercise. And, and I, I don't want that from a victim's perspective. What we wrote in a letter... To Bishop Martin, and we, we said what we wanted to discuss from. Mm. We said, look, the religious orders here who committed a lot of the abuse, they actually never faced any type of tribunal or court or any forum like that. Yeah, they simply didn't. No, they, because they, the church protects them. Well, it does. But yeah. what we and, 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 I mean, telling the Pope what the Pope already knows isn't going to achieve much, is it? No, but what we could have said is, listen, there's a lot of things happened, actually, believe it or not, since our letter to uh, requesting to meet the Pope. Uh, you, you may recall what's happened in, I think it's in Chile, South America. Mm-hmm. Well, he's now accepted a lot. And bearing in mind, if this was the same Pope who defended the bishops and actually... Uh, accused some of the victims of, of, of certain things. Yeah, well, he, he sacked all the bishops in Chile, ah, didn't he? But be, not mm. before he accused all the victims mm. of, you know, basically uh, exaggerating and, and things like that. And he defended to the hilt certain, yeah. a certain cardinal. But you must remember also, there was another cardinal, which he, uh, they, they held what we asked for, which was a constitutory court. They can have that in Rome. And what they did, they stripped the guy. And they told him, you no longer be passed. Now, I think somebody like that, he accepted. Mm. And what he said is, he'll have to spend the rest of his life in penance. Now, the guy should have spent the rest of his life in prison. Mm. When you say they stripped him, they defrocked him, is it? Yes, yeah. they defrocked mm. him. Mm. We're talking about a cardinal here. Yeah. So a lot has it happened. So we were, we've been pointing this out to his uh, predecessor, and, if, and 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 before that, somebody else. But the point is, we, what we're saying is, you you as you said, you have these powers, use them, use them, because. But the uh, Pope but doesn't th- need to come here uh, to be made uh, aware of how people were treated uh, by representatives of uh, the Church and the hierarchy of uh, the Church. Uh, the Pope doesn't need. Uh, to be made uh, aware of it now to have done something uh, because undoubtedly he's been made aware of it over a long period of time and has yes. chosen not to do anything. What would make you think that if you got a chance to speak to him that you'd be able to change well, his mind? it wasn't just that. I wanted to meet him face to face and say, listen, why have you not done these things? Mm. It's, it's the why business. Why have you not? Now, in the meantime, I would say to him, you have probably lost, you know, half the population of Ireland who were devoted Catholics. And they're turned off by all of this. All right, let's uh, assume that was a rhetorical question. What do you think the answer is? Well, I think, look, they normally, we've heard it all before. Look, from bishops and yeah. cardinals, mm. oh, we're truly sorry, and now we're putting mm. recompense. Well, I'd also then say to them, listen, I'd want to sit in person and say, now listen, can I tell you the damage that it's caused to these victims? 
Mm. And then I point, I want to sit down and I, I say, I give you a personal experience if you like. Mm. And it's, it doesn't go away. But what you could do, you could make life much easier for the people. And you, you need to know, and I'd ask them that you set up a certain committee to, you know, look at the damage. And I'd also say to them, maybe you might consider that the celibacy thing. Because that is behind it. So thinking forward in yeah. the future. But you're I, assuming that the church cares. You're assuming that the Pope cares. Do you believe that is the case? Well, uh, yeah, but it, well, put it this way. I think, look, peer pressure and public pressure, they really would have never accepted all those cardinals only because of the public pressure put on them. And he certainly wouldn't have defrocked this cardinal. That's unheard of. Mm. So... Uh, I think in order, if you look at it, I would say to him, even from a selfish perspective, a selfish perspective, you need to root and branch reform of the church. And that shouldn't be my job to tell you to do this. I'm only telling you from the perspective, I would say to him, uh, Pope, I'm only saying this to you in a sense, so as it protects children mm. from my position. And I think you should allow celibacy. And personally, I think you should allow, look at the, the thing that's, well, we should see Africa. I, I think, you know, allowing people use contraception, things like that. You, look, if you want to survive, you've got to move with the times because they're operating on something that's medieval. It, it simply doesn't work for today. And I, I think... It works, for, it works for the church, though, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. That's, and that's the point I'm making. Mike. Mm. You would think it works. Well, let's let's give you an, let's give, me give you a few examples. Well, what's happened? What, what's really changed since 1979? Well, I, I'll give you. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the, the view of the Irish public. Let's just take the Irish public for example. Um, no, within the church, forget about the public because the public are very different than the church, its teachings, and more importantly, how it acts. Well, well not a lot. But what I'm saying is, it is beginning to react to public pressure. Yeah. That's the point I'm making. Is it and, I, and that's what I was saying is... Is it? I, I mean, in what, in what way? Not, not completely. No, not completely. Mm. Don't get me wrong. It is a long, long, long way to go. No. Well, I mean, if, if you look at 1979, John, uh, when uh, John Paul was here and Eamon Casey uh, was the cheerleader and uh, Michael... Um, what was his name in Dublin? Um, the singer. Yeah, the singer. Um, Cleary and... Uh, Cleary, Michael Cleary, yeah. Uh, and John Paul then uh, up in the Phoenix Park with a group of Boy Scouts who were brought there by Sean Fortune, uh, yes, a paedophile yes. priest. Yeah, and no, I, I, I know, don't give me, I appreciate what you're saying, but what I'm saying is there has to be continuous pressure. That's the only way you're getting from... Now, they, you're right, they haven't really, mm. in, in that sense changed an awful lot because what's happening is that even if this Pope was a progressive Pope mm. the fact of the matter is he has a very conservative government if you like you know uh, with, it, it kind of, there's a, a certain group of cardinals and he can't step out of line mm. because they removed his, his predecessor that's exactly what happened he was told to retire but these guys they will come under pressure mm. and I think they are coming under pressure I mean there's 3,000 years They've been doing this. And the way they, they view the world is, look, we've got away with this. Why change? 
Well, why change? I mean, you talk about the singer, the singer and the daddy, let's not forget. Uh, And indeed, uh, Eamon Casey uh, uh, infamously had his love child, whilst both of those priests, indeed, Sean Fortune, uh, would have been the same, preaching from the pulpit uh, about sex outside of marriage, gay sex, uh, and all of that sort of thing. And meanwhile, uh, both of these fellas off having sex outside of marriage, illegitimate children, as they'd have described their spawns. and I think uh, Michael Cleary, if I remember correctly, used to spin this argument about uh, condoms not working because they had holes in them and led to, to an increase in AIDS. In the meanwhile, not only was Sean Fortune having sex outside of marriage, he was having sex with males and he was having sex with minors. Uh, and we fast forward to today, it's a, a church that is opposed to gay and lesbian relationships. Uh, at the same time, we've so many gay priests uh, who are sexually active uh, and I think that's well accepted at this stage and the attitude towards child sexual abuse continues for some it would seem and will always continue in terms of protecting those who have been charged with the offence. Well let me put it another way to you then. It's like the global warming. We've ignored and there's loads of people out there just like the churches that probably you know President Trump, for example. Now, he's a big guy. He's, he's very powerful. Now, let's admit, it's not happening. We only have to look at this weather we're getting recently. There's a good possibility. I don't mm. say it is, because I'm not an expert. But, but what I am saying to you, something has changed. You look at something. Now, I remember speaking to you, you've gone back nearly 15 years and mm. more now. Mm. And nothing really has changed, not from the church's perspective. It didn't, nothing directly has changed from them. But if you take, you go back to 20 odd years, the science today, it's rapidly moving forward. Well, that, uh, the pressure of that, the fact of the matter is, you go back 20 years ago. Uh, if you were to say to your mother, uh, 20, maybe 25 years, say to your mother, uh, I was abused, you'd mm-hmm. get a slap around the face, and how dare you say that to a priest? That what I'm saying to you now is, there's been a revolution. Mm. Really has been. Re- that's not happening. Mm. Now, if they don't see the, the pressure that's coming on and the public mood, for example, would, would you have predicted 20, they're losing their flock, they're losing their investors. Yep. And that's how they look at it. And, I, did, and I, I remember talking to you and Colin O'Gorman and others 20 years ago about uh, the abuse and how those claims were rejected by so many people at the time and now it's widely accepted without question and people have changed. But has the church changed, well, yeah, well, this is the point I'm trying to get to. You have to think of the church as a bank because essentially, as one top American lawyer, Tony Law told me, he said, money is at the root of all of this. A, the money that they need to collect, the money they need to keep, and the money that they think you're going to take away from them. And he's right. But what I'm saying, so if you look at this as a big, big corporation, because that's exactly what it is. I mean, it has billions and billions of the, the, the treasures and, and just in paintings alone would feed the world. But what I'm saying to you, all that can only survive providing you keep the shareholders happy. Now, the shareholders hasn't happened. And what I'm saying to you is, 20 odd years ago, you would never think that we would have accepted uh, this country. The people in this country accepted uh, equality for, for gay people, the abortion. Mm. It's just totally, and even the church was surprised, and the Pope will be find out how the majority for abortion. So what I'm saying is, 
you if you will ignore those uh, shareholders at your peril, and that's the reason I'm saying that's the oh I never would have thought he'd have defrocked a cardinal, mm. but that's happening. Okay. So what we need we need the, I've said it also a long time ago. The only way the church is going to change is from the bottom up because it won't change from the top. All right. Well, we'll be hearing much more, undoubtedly, uh, well, about yes, these issues over the course of the few weeks. This, yep. mm-hmm. I want to yep. sit down mm-hmm. and, from a selfish perspective, point literally out what I've just said there. Mm. Well, John, come back to us uh, again, if you will, uh, and we'll talk some more over the next uh, three or four weeks. And thank you indeed for joining us, as always. John Kelly, coordinator of SOCA, the Survivors of Child Abuse Association in Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the government continues uh, to struggle with uh, the fallout uh, from uh, the cervical check scandal. The Minister for Health, Simon Harris, said yesterday that he's angry and upset that Ruth Morrissey had to take her course case to court and spend two days in the witness box. Uh, He's uh, announced uh, the appointment of Judge Charles Meenan to examine how people can be compensated without going to the courts. This is uh, despite uh, a promise in May from uh, the Taoiseach that no woman would have to go to the courts to take a case like this, uh, something that uh, the Minister has described now as a rash promise to women, one of the many rash promises, including how there would be an audit of some 3,000 smear tests completed by the end of May, that is still to get underway, and the department last night said it could be six months before that review is completed. Let's talk about this with independent member of the European Parliament, Marion Harkin, who's on the line. It's hard not to conclude, isn't it, Marion Harkin, that women who have been caught up in this scandal are being failed by the government? Yes, it's, it's hard not to conclude that. And I suppose, Michael, the first thing I might say is I speak here as somebody with a real interest, but no expertise. I mean, in the sense that for many years, I would have been involved at EU level in trying to ensure that there was a good screening, proper screening available across the EU. Uh, Every year we'd have events around this in the Parliament, but I have no medical expertise. But just as an ordinary person, as, as a woman, looking on at this, so many things have happened from the, the stonewalling of not giving information, of denying women uh, information. And then uh, when uh, uh, Dr. Scally was trying to conduct his report, he had to come out publicly and say again that the information he was getting was not adequate, was not suitable for, you know, to try and and ensure that his report was on time. We've had the Taoiseach making promises, which I think, to be fair to him, were not false promises, but didn't have the clarity that was needed. Mm. We have Vicky Phelan saying, you know, in the last day or two, that she feels there's a lack of empathy. And she's already, apart from the fact that uh, she has the diagnosis she has, which none of us can be, even begin to think about. Mm-hmm. And I think unless you're there yourself, you have no concept. And, uh, you know, as well as that, she now feels that there's a lack of empathy there, a lack of understanding. And all of this is added 
you know, added mm. to by that sufficient clarity, by reports uh, being late, by things not being started. Mm. And it, it just seems to be sort of building in front of, of your eyes and you, you keep saying, who's in charge of this? And, and how can we, you know, get a good, I don't mean a good outcome, but there are various strands for the women themselves that where there's negligence or whatever, that there's no question mm. that they have to go to court. But equally, that we can get answers. And as Vicky Phelan herself said, that we can move forward and know that in the future, whatever screening systems we have in place, that they are the best. And I suppose most of us were delighted to read Ruth Morrissey's latest CT scan has given her hope. Uh, But when she went into the witness box, uh, she was of the belief that she'd less than a year to live. She had to spend two days giving evidence in court uh, and very personal and distressing situation at the best of times, uh, having to tell the court uh, how their little girl worries uh, about their mother dying and that type of thing. Nothing a dying woman should have to do after being wronged as badly as she and other women have been. Uh, And that is uh, the point that the Taoiseach was making when he said no woman should have to do it and he promised that no woman would have to do it. Uh, It it may not have uh, been a false promise, but it's certainly a promise that was not fulfilled. Uh, And you could understand, again, why people would find that unforgivable. Yes, I mean, in, in the sense, look, I don't know the detail of Ruth Morrissey's you know, tragic case. Um, as I said, none of us can can mm. even begin to know what a terminal diagnosis is like, especially a young mother, a young parent. So, you know, that's that's the first thing. But I, I read on the paper that at, I think at one point where there's 17 barristers or lawyers, you know, acting for the companies, the state, whatever. I, I don't know the details, mm, but mm, I certainly saw the figure 17. And for a woman who, at that point, had a diagnosis of, of a year to live, I mean, that was... You can't even begin to imagine it. And the, the Minister for Health is right to say he's angry and upset, but it's not enough to be angry and upset. You have to make sure that doesn't happen. And yes, it is it is hope for her uh, that, you know, her CT scan shows that, that things maybe are better than was thought. And that's what everybody wants to hear, because if you or I were in that situation uh, or cl- those who are close to us, that's what we'd want as well. Mm. But, but to push a, a woman and a family through that is not acceptable. And, and I think, Michael... It's just the fact that there's there's so many unknowns and unanswered and people are waiting to hear and things are being said and not being delivered on. And it's almost as if, you know, who's in charge of this? Who's trying to... It's a terrible situation at, at so many different levels. And also, and I just want to say this as well, from the point of view of a screening programme... Yeah. A couple of issues here. Mm. Number one, are women likely to say, well, you know, 
is it worth my while? What's the point? Um, Etc. It's really important we have faith in that service. And one of the things that Vicky and and others, Emma, Vic Mahuna and and others will have done is to make us look at the screening service that's in place and ensure absolutely that's, you know, going in the future that we have the best possible screening service in place. But equally, screening is not diagnostic Mm. and it doesn't pick up everything. And 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 I think many women, including myself, mm -hmm, Michael, mm -hmm. would have been of the view, you had your smear test and you thought, great, if it came back clear, don't have to worry, two to five years. And even if you had symptoms, you mightn't just have gone to your doctor. So I think for a lot of women, at least they know that now, but I'd be concerned about their faith and belief in the system because it only works if people go for screening. So that's another issue. Mm. And somebody needs to take this by the scruff of the neck. Make sure that the state claims agency engages properly with these women. As you said, Judge Meenan has been put in place but it needs to happen now. I mean, Yeah, because woman, he's two months to complete his review, doesn't he? Yeah, is that woman going to have to go back to court again? Mm. I think Ruth Morrissey. I mean, you know, this is, it's not acceptable that this should happen. The, the minister and the Taoiseach now have a, a small window of opportunity to, to try to ameliorate an already really bad situation. They, they can't let this pass because a lot of people will, will see that as unforgivable if they don't deal with it in a compassionate decent way over the next few months while we await for outcomes of reports, etc., that will hopefully, number one, ensure that those women uh, who have been wronged are properly and adequately, and I don't even want to use the word compensated because you can't compensate, but, but dealt with. And secondly, that we can know that we will have a system in place that is the best there is, and while nothing is 100% certain or even close, that we know we have the best possible screening system in place. And listen, I, I don't think anybody would disagree with one word you've said, but uh, what's your feeling on what will happen? Uh, do you think that the government has the wherewithal or the will uh, to deal with this uh, appropriately, or would you be surprised, uh, in other words, to ask the same question in a, a different way if we see another woman in front of the courts? Well, I think Vicky and others have done the state a service, and they've done women and families a service, because I think she called out people, not once, not twice, but she called them out again. She said, first of all, there isn't the empathy there. Uh, and you need that. If you don't start from that basis, where are you going? Because we're talking about lives here. We're talking about families. Uh, so that's where you start. And while ministers and Tishi and others, yes, they have to look to the public purse. Yes, all of that's important. But we're in the middle of a really awful situation for many, many families. That has to be dealt with in the most compassionate way 
possible and keeping people out of court. And that that's number one. Mm. After that, I, I actually think that the government still probably have a window of opportunity to deal with this properly. But it's closing very fast. And I think a lot of people will be unforgiving if they feel that, you know, the service that that should be in place isn't put in place and that the people, the women and the families who find themselves in this situation are not dealt with in a compassionate and decent and humane way. And if that doesn't happen, I think a lot of people will harden their hearts Mm. and not be forgiving. Because that's that's not probably the truth. All right. Listen, many thanks uh, for sharing those thoughts with us and for joining us, as always. Thanks, Michael. Thank you indeed. Independent MEP Marion Harkin. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, it probably is uh, the busiest weekend of uh, the year for travel and indeed on our roads uh, for that matter. So if you are travelling somewhere this weekend, don't be surprised that you're you're the only person or that you're not the only person doing it uh, and expect delays. Let's uh, talk uh, with Barry Aldworth, who's Senior Media Officer with AA Ireland. Good morning to you, Barry, and thanks for joining us. A lot of people driving this weekend and uh, they uh, won't be surprised I'm sure that there's other people doing the same uh, but uh, they shouldn't be surprised if they hit a pothole either it would seem. Yeah so certainly this weekend is a busy one on the roads and you're going to see more people taking longer journeys as well so it's worth bearing that in mind that you know particularly if you're driving on a route you know well might be the case of the car in front of you doesn't know the route as well just allow people a little bit of extra distance now you allow yourself some extra stopping time just so we're all safe on the roads this weekend but certainly a big factor for us all when we're out driving is potholes so we commissioned one of our regular surveys of our members customers and we ask them when they are out be it driving or on a motorbike or even on a push bike if they have ever damaged their vehicle as a result of hitting a pothole. And unfortunately, over about 60% of people have had at least some level of damage caused their vehicle by a pothole at some stage really? in their driving or mm. cycling history. And what does that say about our roads? Well, I think it points to, you know, potholes in general have long been a frustration of all road users. And particularly, I think it has been an issue this year that really came to the fore because, well, towards the tail end of last year and even up until April of this year with Storm Emma, we were dealing with some pretty bad weather conditions which took a toll on our roads and also delayed road repairs that would normally have been underway by April. They were held up because of the snowfall that we saw. So I think, you know, it is a frustration for people there's a lot of work that needs to be done and I suppose the reason we're talking about this now, it might not seem like it, but winter 2018 isn't that far away, so the, the worst affected roads, we really need to see the councils getting out and working on those now. Is there an obligation on the councils to repair potholes if they're reported to them? Yes, so if a pothole is reported to the council, they have to repair it. It falls within their remit once upon a time, many moons ago it would have been the Department of Transport that had responsibility for that. Now, each local council has a budget allocated to road repairs. 
So if you come across a pothole, mm. the best thing to do is report to your council. They have an obligation to repair it. Now, unfortunately, what we also tend to see, those repairs might not always be the necessary repairs. You know, you, you often see along Irish roads, potholes filled in with a bit of loose chipping or a bit of tarmac, which will do the job for a very short space of time, but eventually, as more people drive over that road, it's going to wear down again. But you hear from people who have complained about potholes that go unrepaired. Uh, in such a, a circumstance, if somebody else damages their car or their motorbike or whatever it is, uh, the council is liable. But how do you know if it has been reported previously? Yes, so the best thing to do is ultimately to make contact with the council and query with them if it has been reported previously. If it is a substantial pothole, chances are that it has been. But ultimately, I think the best way we can ensure that that happens is to urge all motorists to report potholes that you come across. Even if it hasn't damaged your vehicle, don't think, I'm sure someone else will report that. Get on the phone, it'll take a few minutes to report the pothole, and at least then you're bringing it to the council's attention, mm. making the roads that little bit safer, and hopefully avoiding any damage to yourself or another road user's vehicle. And your wallet, because it can be very expensive. You hear of uh, wheels being destroyed, and uh, some of uh, these cars these days are very expensive to replace wheels on. Uh, but if the council says, uh, well, this is the first we heard of it, uh, uh, is there any way of checking that? Unfortunately not. It, it, it's tough to prove that it has been reported to them before, which is why and we asked this within the survey as well, whether people had had any luck pursuing the council in cases where their vehicle had been damaged, and very few actually have. Most people opt to just cover the damage themselves, which is one thing if you're talking about maybe a punctured tyre you know, we asked again what kind of damage was done. About 48% of people had the wheel rim itself damaged. Just under 20% had the suspension damaged. And those costs can add up quite quickly. So really, the best thing to do is to just push the council on and put a bit of pressure on them to prove, I suppose, that it hasn't been reported to them and hopefully protect your wallet that way. All right, well, hopefully if uh, people are out this weekend, travelling this weekend, uh, that they'll come back with the same four wheels uh, that they set out with and that they'll have a great time in between. But we leave there for the moment. Thank you indeed, as always, for joining us uh, this morning. Barry Aldward, Senior Media Officer with AA Ireland, brings our programme to its conclusion today, indeed, for this week, with thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray in the Control Tower. I'm Michael, and God willing, we'll See you for our next program on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now Michael at LMFM.ie.